Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 10 this morning. I know we read in Ephesians. We'll make reference to that passage as we study Acts chapter 10 uh, together. All right, uh, Acts 10, uh, 1 to 23, the importance uh, of this event that's described in this section of Scripture, it's seen in the fact that uh, God has Luke recount it three different times. Uh, the first one here in Acts 10, and then in Acts 11, it, it's mentioned again, and a final time in Acts chapter 15. And in the previous nine chapters, as we study them together, we have already seen the gospel go here, there, and everywhere. But the focus in these verses isn't on geographical locations. Uh, rather, it is that the gospel is for everyone. It's for all peoples. It's given to all ethnic demographics. Let's go ahead and read it. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. And it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open. And a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, said, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again, the second time, what God has cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down. Go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him 
from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore you are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned by God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. And then called he them in, and he lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, what a great passage you've given us that uh, clearly declares that the gospel uh, is for everyone, that um, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses every sin of every person who will trust in Christ as Savior. Um, Lord, I I pray that we be motivated um, to have the same perspective, uh, the same understanding, that we would pay attention to the message you have for us here that the gospel is for everyone, for every single person that we meet on uh, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, that they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even for us who, who have received Christ as Savior, we need the, the gospel uh, as we continue to grow in Christ. Lord, teach us through your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at God's message to Cornelius in the first eight verses. This is the first time that this man is described in the Bible, so let's see what verses 1 through 3 tell us about who he is. Let's look at his character. He lived in Caesarea. That was a port city in Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. In a very real way, Caesarea was the capital of the Roman government that ruled over Israel at that time. Pontius Pilate had a residence there. Uh, In fact, many Romans did, including this Gentile Roman soldier named Cornelius. And verse 1 also says that he was a centurion, so he was high-ranking. He was a top officer in charge uh, of at least 100 soldiers. Uh, Here specifically, uh, a regiment called the Italian Band. That was a unit made up of 600 or so soldiers. They were all born and raised in Italy, stationed here in Caesarea. And then verse 2 gives us some more pertinent details about the character of Cornelius. Uh, He's described in verse 2 as a devout man. Uh, A Greek word, Eusebius, means religious. He was spiritually pious. It says that he was a man who feared God along with all of his house. Cornelius had uh, a faith in the God of Israel. Though he was a Roman, a Gentile, he had not fully become a convert to Judaism. He had at least recognized that the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament, was the one true God who deserved worship and honor. He didn't follow the the pagan idols uh, of his own ethnic Roman culture. And at the end of verse 2, it tells us that his faith in God was genuine. How do we know that? Because genuine faith works. True faith for God, uh, true faith in God for salvation, it's always evidenced in our actions. Cornelius, it says there, he gave much alms to the people, meaning he helped those who were in need. It says that he prayed, his faithful prayer warrior. He prayed to God always. Uh, And it's likely that um, that's what he was doing. He was praying when what happens in verse 3 occurs. It says that he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, that was a common time of prayer every day in the Jewish religion that Cornelius observed. And it's then and there that Cornelius receives a message from the Lord. Let's take a look at that, the communication he receives from God. When Cornelius heard this voice and saw this vision from the Lord, it says his initial response was fear. 
I don't doubt it. I think that would be our response as well. Um, even the high priest, Zacharias, he was afraid when the angel uh, came to him in the, in the te temple to announce that he and his wife would uh, give birth to John the Baptist in, in the uh, first chapter of Luke. But, but despite his fear, uh, Cornelius asked the angel, what is it, Lord? And this angel communicates the message that God has for him. Your prayers and your alms are come up uh, for a memorial before God. What does that mean? It means, Cornelius, God is aware of your faith. Um, he's pleased because it's a faith that is lived out in your actions. God's pleased with the worship you are giving to him. And then in verse 5, the angel communicates some specific instructions for Cornelius to follow. He is to send men to Joppa uh, to call for uh, Simon, whose surname is Peter. Verse 6 tells us, that um, Cornelius got exact details where these men would find Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, uh, the house. That's right on the coast, right on the sea. And Peter will tell you what to do once you get there, once you obey to that level. So Cornelius obeys uh, that message that God gave him according to verses 7 to 9. He calls two of his household servants, uh, one soldier from his unit, who's also described as devout, same word, spiritually uh, pious, faithful. And Cornelius tells them everything that happened in his vision from God, all about the message that God gave him. And then in the upcoming verses, we'll find out how all of this turns out. But first, while they are heading to Joppa, God is sovereignly orchestrating all that's going to occur by also having a message for Peter. And let's look at the communication God gives to Peter. At the very, at the very same time that, that the uh, Cornelius' search party is getting near to Joppa, um, verse 9 informs us that Peter went up on Simon the Tanner's housetop to pray. It was about noon, the six hours, about 12 noon that day. Um, now, we often pray around that time, don't we? Why? Because it's lunchtime, right? We might ask a blessing uh, on the food. And um, verse 10 says that it was that time for Peter as well. He became very hungry. He wanted to eat. But lunch was not quite ready at Simon the Tanner's house. So uh, Peter heads upstairs on top of the house to pray as the preparations are finished up. And then verse 10 says that Peter fell into a trance. God has a vision. God has a message for Peter as well. And that's described in verses 11 through 13. It says, and he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, let down to the earth. Now listen to what's inside the sheet. All manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and, and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. This was not a uh, hunger-induced crazy dream. Some of you get hangry. I know. Um, this wasn't a hunger-induced crazy dream. Verse 11 says where this vision came from. It came from heaven. It'd be kind of strange to see that, wouldn't it? For Peter, it'd been more than strange. It'd be off-putting what he sees here. Um, Peter is a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter has been saved. He's been saved the only way that we are saved, by faith alone and God's grace uh, alone to us. Uh, through Jesus Christ, but, but Peter is still ethnically Jewish. At this point, 
Peter is still following the ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant. In regard to what's going on here, the parts of the law dealing with clean and unclean animals. And then in verse 13, this vision is accompanied by a message from God. And what is God trying to communicate to Peter? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Remember, Peter's hungry. God says, get up. It's lunchtime, Peter. And what's Peter's response? Verse 14. Not so, O Lord. Not so. Not a rude tone. Um, more of a, no, I don't think I will. And Peter says to God, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. God, I'm not about to start right now. So Peter's ethnic sensitivities to Jewish ceremonial law, they're at their breaking point here. And God is trying to get Peter to learn uh, his first major lesson about life under the new covenant that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's this, that Jewish Old Testament, Old Covenant ceremonial laws, they've been abolished. They've been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God, God is graphically in this vision communicating this to Peter. And so in verse 14, God repeats the message a second time with this important addition. God says, Peter, don't, don't you call what I have cleansed, don't call it common. Don't call it unclean. Now, you might be already putting all the pieces together uh, in this. Um, this is about way more than food, right? It is. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves or the text. Verse 16 tells us that this whole interaction was done three times, thrice. And then the vessel was received back up into heaven, thrice. You know, when Peter is involved with some interaction with the Lord, it seems to be that there's always threes, isn't there? Um, he denied knowing Jesus three times. He's questioned by Jesus about his love for him three times when Jesus restored Peter's faith after his resurrection. And this is actually the third time that's recorded in the Gospels in the New Testament uh, where Peter refuses to submit to God's will. Is this a big thing? I mean, it is to God. Uh, it is to the future and the function of the church and its mission. Yeah, it's a big thing. You can go into Romans and 1 Corinthians, and Paul's still dealing with this kind of stuff <laughs> decades later. Um, should you eat meat that's offered to idols or not? Should you regard this day that Jewish people would regard as special, sanctified? Should you regard it as special or, or not? And there's Christian denominations today, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, Messianic, uh, Jewish Christian denominations. They, they still try to teach otherwise. But God's message here is very clear. It's crystal clear. You are no longer under the Old Testament ceremonial law. Under grace, you can eat what you want. Are you thankful for that? I am, because I like pigs. I like bacon. I like sausage. I know some of you like shrimp. Uh, man, I'm thankful for that. Eating certain food, it might give you indigestion, but it will not affect your relationship with the Lord. And David Kirby and I had a lot of ice cream this past week. We can testify to that. Uh, let's look at his character. In Peter's, in Peter's not so, oh Lord, in that response that was said at least twice to God's message here, I mean, we've already seen some aspects of Peter's character. On the positive side, he wants to honor God. He, he does. He desires to obey God's word. On, on the negative side, Peter's not so big on God changing things up, is he? We struggle with that. 
our speaker um, up at camp this week, he, he told the joke, I think I mentioned it here once before, but how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? No, we don't need to change anything, right? I mean, that's often a struggle uh, with Baptists. We can be a lot like Peter in that way. Back on the positive side, we see some progress in Peter's understanding that the new covenant that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that, that, it, that it is a change already. I mean, Peter's, uh, he's been staying with Simon. Simon is a tanner, <laughs> a leather tanner. No, no legalist or whatever you want to call it, a fundamentalist Jew would ever do such a thing with all those dead animal parts laying around. I mean, he's already uh, endorsed uh, Philip, the deacon Philip, his ministry to the Samaritans. He's changing. But again, on the negative side, we can see that Peter's problem might be with the rapidity of change. In any case, God told Peter to do something, and Peter thought he knew better than God what was best. That's not a good place to be, is it? Never, never. But, but in the remaining verses of this passage, we do see obedience by Peter. Uh, it may have taken three times, but he does submit to the changes that God has implemented in the new covenant. It's also clear that Peter realizes this is about way more than just lunchtime. It's God's message to us, verses 17 to 23. What God wants Peter to learn, and every one of us here this morning, what he wants us to understand uh, as far as what's going on here in these verses is, is first of all, the universality of the gospel. Um, we need to recognize that up to this point, nearly everyone who has been given the gospel or who has responded to the gospel, um, they've been Jewish, ethnically or religiously, like the Ethiopian eunuch, um, even the Samaritans. Geographically, the gospel has begun to go here, there, and everywhere. But in regard to ethnicity, Christianity had yet to go beyond the Jewish people. And so in preparation for the Apostle Paul's ministry and his missionary endeavors to the Gentiles, that's going to need to change. I think it's just so ironically awesome it's so how, like our God works, that God would have this change occur, not through the Apostle Paul, who would be a missionary to the Gentiles, but he has it begin with Peter, with Peter. God used an individual who at this point right now um, was perhaps one of the most prejudiced, bigoted individuals toward those who were not Jews. God uses Peter to open the door to the gospel, reaching those who were not ethnically Jewish. And so the gospel is transforming Peter's life even here. Uh, and that was always God's intent from the start. Do you remember the promise uh, to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 3? God told Abraham, and in thee, meaning in, in your descendants, specifically Jesus Christ, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it's crystal clear in that beloved verse, John 3, 16, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that what? Whosoever, whosoever believeth in him. Jesus is not uh, the savior for this ethnicity or that ethnicity. He is the savior of whosoever will. Amen? Whosoever will. That's the message of God to us in this section of Acts. Uh, before I go on, just a little sidebar. Here's also the answer uh, to that question that we might ask. What about those who've never heard the gospel? Some individual in the most remote 
jungle or place that, that OCC hasn't gotten to yet. Uh, I mean, is God really going to send them to, to hell because they haven't trusted in Christ as Savior? Uh, and we have this lesson here. If someone seeks God, like Cornelius did, with what level they know about God. Do you know what our gracious God is like? He's going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to them. We don't have to worry about that. We just need to obey the Great Commission. Uh, there's no indictment on God if someone doesn't hear. The indictment is on you and I for not obeying the Great Commission. Uh, there's a unity from the gospel. We read earlier in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 about this. Uh, about two years ago, uh, we had a presentation here because of things going on in our convention on Sunday evening uh, about the ideology of critical race theory, why it's not only incorrect, it's unbiblical, it's antithetical to the principles uh, in God's word. And I shared with you then uh, that passage from Ephesians 2 that we read together earlier this morning. It is in Christ Jesus, being saved in Christ, that we have the answer to the demonic divisions that human beings have constructed and caused. The cross of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer, the great equity-lizer, equality-izer, whatever you want to call it, because we are all equally worthless, all headed to the same place, all sinners, all worms, until we come to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Once we bow there, once we trust in Christ as Savior, we are all one. We are all one in Christ. I praise God for Dr. Vody Balkum's application of this Ephesians 2 passage to the ethnic divisions that are a problem in our society today. Listen, if God, this is what he's telling us there in Ephesians 2, if God could unite a division that he caused, Jew and Gentile, if he could do that through the work of Christ on the cross, and he did, well, then can he not also unite the ethnic divisions that we sinfully created and caused on our own? Through the power of the gospel? Yeah, he can. And in fact, he has. If we will rightly apply the gospel, if we will live in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit like Peter begins to hear, the gospel is the answer. That's the message of this part of Acts that we're in this morning. Now look at verses 17 to 23. We left Peter at decision time. Verse 17 says that uh, Peter's got some doubts about what he just saw in that vision, what he heard commanded by God. But God did not give Peter time to doubt very long. God showed him what this was all about. Uh, it says in verse 17, the, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lo was lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. All right. So uh, Cornelius' search party arrives at Simon the Tanner's house. Peter gets another message from God here in verses 19 to 20. The, the Holy Spirit tells him, Peter, look, three men are here for you. Get up. Go down with them, doubting nothing. Stop all the doubting, Peter. Stop it, for I have sent them. And Peter obeys, doubting nothing. Peter trusts God. That's evidenced in his obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, he greets the men. Peter asks them, these Gentile men, what it is that they want. And in verse 22, the men explain to Peter about the vision and the message that God gave to Cornelius, and they request that Peter come with him. 
Now, would you look at verse 23? It says that Peter calls them inside the house and lodged them. It does not explicitly state it here. What time was it when Peter was praying and these men were about to come? It's lunchtime. They don't leave till the next morning. Um, I, I think it's safe to assume that they ate together. Peter's lunch finally ready and shared with these Gentiles. Uh, the Holy Spirit's done a work in Peter's life, hasn't he? A couple of verses back, he didn't even want to eat something that would break ceremonial law. Um, he was concerned about what to eat. Now he's showing hospitality to these Gentiles. He's eating with them, something that he would have been forbidden to do. He's welcoming them into the home where he was staying, and Peter's about to see in the rest of chapter 10 that the gospel is to go here, there, and everywhere because it is for everyone. Has there been a time in your life when you realized that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for you, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, all of them? That, that whosoever will in John 3, 16 means you, that Christ rose from the grave to offer you new life in Christ now, eternal life with him in heaven one day? Have you ever received Christ as Savior by confessing your sins to God in prayer and trusting in the work of Christ on your behalf to save you, give you eternal life? If you haven't done that, do that this morning. Do it right now. We're going to have a time of invitation and response, but don't wait. Uh, but for you who have, the gospel is for everyone. In our fallen human nature... It is divisive by nature. But what Jesus did on the cross, it is powerful enough to break down walls that we build. It's powerful enough to unite those who were formerly separated by sin. We're reconciled. We're united to God through faith in Christ. We're reconciled and united to each other in Christ. Peter had a little aversion to change. Um, God doesn't change, but sometimes his plans for us do, and sometimes his expectations of us do, maybe his mission for us. Don't, don't be like Peter was. Don't be so uh, averse to change that you would say, not so, O Lord, when he clearly tells you to do something, when his word clearly tells you to do something. Don't make God have to say it three times. And, you know, maybe there's some prejudice or division that that's a part of your life and the Holy Spirit wants to deal with it just like he does here with Peter. Honestly, in this day and age, I doubt it would be ethnic. It could be. If it is, don't live like that anymore. That's a carnal way of thinking. That is a worldly way of thinking. That's sin. Um, but but I'm, I, I'd have to be more concerned about other divisions that we might have created and constructed that, that the Holy Spirit wants to level this morning in the power of the gospel. And I say that because those are typically more prevalent. I, I fight them. I'm sure you do too. We can tear them down. I might have just torn them down yesterday. Satan likes to build them back up as soon as he can. Listen, a divided family, that is a fertile seedbed for the work of Satan, for him to gain a stronghold in your life. A, a divided church, that is going to be an impotent church. A divided family, a divided church, it strips the gospel of its claims of transformation, the power of transformation. Um, you, you realize that in the gospel, God desires to reveal to you that, that his grace to us in Jesus Christ, his forgiveness is bigger than our capacity to sin. Isn't that what we know in the gospel? Grace greater than our sins? Is that what you are proclaiming? Is that what you're showing? Is that what you're teaching and revealing by how you treat others? 
by how you view others, by how you forgive others. Uh, maybe you were wounded. Maybe you were a wounder. But are you going to tell me that the cross of Jesus Christ is not powerful enough to take care of that? That the blood of, of Christ can't handle that? If you will apply it, that's not the cross of my Jesus. I mean, my Savior isn't limited by the wounding or the wounder, whoever it is or whatever it is. But his work is limited by our will. There's something causing division in a family. Won't you lay it down? Leave it here and leave here in the joy of forgiving or the joy of being forgiven. That's found only in the grace of Christ. There might be some church-related division. Well, church is a perfect place to leave it. Leave it here this morning once and for all and to know the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't let your stubborn will like Peter had at the beginning here. Don't let it be an obstacle for what God wants to do in your life. Um, because that, that whosoever will in John 3, 16, that's for the Christian too. As Tommy comes and leads us in a, a time to respond to God's word, however he's leading you to, he's calling you to, the Holy Spirit's moving you to, please obey.